The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. People were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you. Whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then he embraced the children and blessed them, placing his hands upon them. The Gospel of the Lord. Running through the readings that we have been given today is not simply a note of prayerfulness, but a note of companionship in the strongest sense of the word. Neither St. James nor the Lord in the gospel club us over the head with that word, but it runs through these readings. Note how St. James speaks to the community. And as is typical of him in this letter, he speaks of very basic elements of our living and that there's something we need to do with those very basic things that make up our lives. If you're struggling, pray. If things are going well, sing a hymn of praise. If any among you are sick, let them call for the presbyters of the church. If you've sinned, confess to someone and have them pray for you. And in speaking this way, the apostle is not simply giving us a list of do's. Make sure you check this off the list, and then you do this, and then you do this. He's naming and addressing a fundamental aspect of life that we all know well. Many of us know very well because of the way these last two years have unfolded. Illness often has the effect of cutting us off from one another. COVID made that obvious with the lockdowns and the distancing, but the simple fact of the matter is, as long as there has been illness on the world, one of the things that comes with illness is separation the painful quarantines that the lepers underwent in the ancient world. The fact that when my body breaks down and I can no longer be with everybody else, life moves on and I feel left behind. Our parishes have always had shut-ins. The only thing that changed two years ago is we all became shut-ins, and we didn't like it. But that should also kindle in our minds a certain new sensitivity for our brothers and sisters who were shut-ins before COVID-19 and are still shut-in and will be shut-in after COVID-19. But how easily we forget them, don't we? 
Illness has the effect of separating us. And so does guilt, so does sin. When we feel guilt-ridden, there are certain people we don't want to be around. When we are conscious of having done wrong, there are those we don't want to face, we don't even want to look in the mirror, we get cut off from ourselves. And so note what James is insisting on. When you struggle, pray. When things are going well, rejoice in the Lord because you are never alone in those things, but it's also never just you and the Lord. And so he says, let the sick send for the presbyters. In fact, this passage from St. James is the very beginning of the ritual of the anointing of the sick. Now, those of you over whom I have been privileged to pray that ritual here at the shrine have heard those words, some of you multiple times. That exhortation from James, if they are any sick among you, let them send for the priests. And let the priests come and pray over them. In other words, the church must not leave its sick alone. If any among you who are sick, do not shut yourself in and enclose yourself in your illness. Send. Send for the church so that even physically you do not pray alone. Note how marvelous that really is. How beautiful that insistence that the church must find you. And so send for us, and we will come. If you have sinned, if you are guilt-ridden, and you're conscious of it, and you know you failed, don't fall into the trap of being alone in your failure. Like Adam and Eve who hid in the trees of the garden so that they wouldn't see each other and so that God wouldn't see them. Don't cut yourself off. Because there's going to be that in you that wants to do that. But there's no healing in that loneliness. And so come forward. Confess and let someone pray for you. Again, note how beautiful that is. Note how beautiful that is. And notice how James doesn't say, if any of you sinned as long as it's small, Make sure you come back. You know, he doesn't say, if any of you've sinned and it's not really big, you're okay. He also doesn't say, if any of you've sinned, go to your room, lock the door, and pray quietly, and you'll be fine. Notice? Don't cut yourself off. That's not to say you never pray alone. But it is to say, be careful of even falling into the trap of a certain privatized spiritual isolation. I am alone with my difficulties, and that's it. The church, which is the body of Christ, is founded in no small measure to share the difficulties of the world and to share the difficulties of its members. Most especially, it's wounded. It's an intrinsic element of the greatness of the church. 
And James, as is typical for him, doesn't come right out and say that because he doesn't want to give us exalted, high words of theology because he knows sometimes that distracts us from facing concrete reality. And so rather he speaks about concrete reality. And he says, in these situations, this is what you do. And then he gives us this beautiful, understated Marian note in the reading. And now you're going to say, Father, he didn't mention Mary once. How can you say this reading is talking about Mary? And I can say it's because it's talking about Elijah as a great man of effective prayer. And I know somebody who's more effective. If Elijah could pray and heaven would close and the rain wouldn't come down, and Elijah could pray again, as James says, and the heavens opened and the rain came down, how much more effective is the prayer of that one who lifted her heart toward the sealed heavens and said, let him come, and the just one himself rained down to the world. And note what James is saying. Pray for one another. Do not isolate your prayer from each other. Take the initiative, pray for one another because the pious prayer of a holy person is mighty indeed. And then he evokes the example of Elijah, the might of the prayer of this pious and holy prophet. But we hear those words at the shrine of Our Lady of the Island, a shrine dedicated to one whose piety, whose prayerfulness, whose faith is mightier even than that of Elijah. And why are we here today? Because whether we thought about it this morning or not, none of us wanted to be alone. And so we're here together. And while we may not have thought about being with each other in any explicit way, we did think about being with her. And so we came to her shrine. Because we know in our illness, we can ask her to pray for us. And that's a mighty prayer. We know that in our woundedness, we can open that woundedness to her. And her prayer with us and for us is great indeed. We're here today, every single one of us, because we understand that when Our Lady prays with us and we draw near to her, the heavens continue to open and the grace of the just one continues to rain down. That's what the candles in the racks symbolize. Why are there candles in these racks? And most of them are lit by a person who comes by himself or herself at some time during the day. We don't see all the candles being lit. We don't see all of the people standing in prayer. We see some, but not all. But everyone, whether they come as families or come at a time when they know they will be alone physically, are lighting that candle and praying because they don't want to be alone and because they know they're not alone. Note how beautiful that is and how well it brings to a certain glorious completion these words of the Apostle James. Don't let your need cut you off. Don't let your illness or your struggle or even your joy cut you off. 
In your thanksgiving, don't pray alone. In your hardship, don't pray alone. In your illness, by all means, ask for someone to come to you. This is why the ministry of bringing Holy Communion to the homebound, of visiting the sick, is so very important. Because in its own way, it makes concrete and clear the very essence of our faith. Because when this world was groaning in its lonely sickness and sin-ridden isolation, he came. Not just to the sick of a world, but to a world that was sick. Not just to the wounded of the world, but to a world that is wounded to a world that had fallen away and cut itself off from grace. But he heard the groaning of that world, longing for someone. But he came. He came when our sister, our little sister Mary, born so late in time, added her prayers to ours. The world had been groaning for centuries. And she began to pray alongside of it. And he came. The prayer of a pious person, a holy person, is mighty indeed. That's the fundamental dynamic of coming to a Marian shrine to pray. We step into that great mystery by which healing and goodness and forgiveness and mercy fully come into the world. Jesus Christ, great and good and powerful, who comes to us through Mary, with Mary, in Mary, and by Mary. And whether it's simply sitting here and praying, whether it's walking the grounds prayerfully, whether it is lighting a candle, that is the fundamental and mighty reality that is at work here every hour of every day, whether we're conscious of it or not. This is the essence of a shrine. We come here because we don't want to be alone. And when we recognize that, we recognize that we come here to be with that one whom we name Mother most blessed and glorious of all mothers, and that makes us her children. And now let's have a look at that gospel reading. Because this is not just a reading about little kids. And we miss its full beauty if we reduce it to that. Yes, it does speak about the importance of small children. But it doesn't stop there. And so note how the gospel reading unfolds, because it's connected to everything we've just reflected upon with regard to St. James and with regard to this holy place where we gather today. Parents were bringing their children to Jesus. And so note the curious reality. In order to come to Jesus, children must be brought. And so this is not merely a reading about children spontaneously finding Jesus by themselves. They are brought to 
And the essence of the children in this reading is that they are those who are being brought to Jesus, that drawing near to him, they might approach him, that drawing near to him, they might find him. But if they are not brought, they do not find him. Note how important that is. This idea that our little ones, our simple ones, our unbelieving ones must be brought to him. And if we're honest, all of us in our own way at some point in our lives were brought to Christ. We didn't find him on our own. We were brought in some way, brought near to him in some way. This is why the fundamental rhythms of family life, especially on Sunday, become so very important. The children must be brought near that they might meet him, might find him. And it raises the question of where do we bring our little ones in general? What do we bring them near? Do we bring them near our anger? Do we bring them near self-indulgence? Do we bring them near distractions? Do we bring them near things that are good but less than the Lord and content ourselves with that? But they have to be brought to him, that they can approach him. How important that is, this idea of being brought to the Lord. And yet we see that within the believing community itself, there can be obstacles for those who are brought to draw near. And notice what Jesus says, let them come. And it would be easy right now to talk about all the mistakes we make as a church and a society with regard to children. And that's an important matter for discussion, but that's for another day. Because right here among us right now, there is another reality that lives in each of our hearts. And it relates exactly to this dynamic of the little one being brought, the disciple rebuking, and Jesus saying, stop doing that. And it's this. Note how he concludes the story. Note how this incident concludes. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those like these. And if you, do, if you, not somebody else, if you individually, personally, actually you, do not accept the kingdom of God as a child, you won't get in. However entitled you might feel, however grown up you believe you are. And when he speaks that way, he suddenly broadens what he is talking about to more than just little children, because now he's talking about us. And he's talking about our inability to make ourselves small and approach him with childlike simplicity and with trust. Because let's be honest, we hear the call to make ourselves small, and what happens? There's a proud voice of a puffed-up disciple inside of us saying, but I outgrew that. But I don't need to do that. But that's not the real world. It can be the voice of my grown-up and mature guilt. It can be the voice of my grown-up and mature suspicion. 
It could be the voice of my grown-up and mature self-indulgence. It could simply be the voice of pretension inside of me. But you notice that any time there's a call to humble ourselves, there's an automatic pushback within us, an automatic resistance that comes from somewhere. And what does Jesus say? If you can't accept the kingdom of God as one of these, you're not getting in. And so what happens? We bring ourselves to the Lord including that part that longs for him and wants to reach to him. But even as that part of us begins to reach, we stop ourselves short for some reason. It's one of the most common realities in the spiritual life. We start to stretch out our hand to the Lord and we pull it back because we've been disappointed. We've reached out for things and they were pulled away from us before like happened when we were kids and as we grew up. We remember the opportunities that were yanked away at the last minute. We remember all the things we reached out and grabbed only to find out they weren't any good for us. And we become cautious. We become hesitant. We're not sure. We look at ourselves and we see all of our mistakes and we say, but I'm so not ready. Maybe I'll try again later. Well, what is that? The child, on the one hand, the child wants to draw close. Oh, and that grown-up, wrongly mature part of us says, not so fast. The world's not like that. The Lord's not like that. You're not like that. And we stop short. And what does Jesus say to us? Stop doing that, because all you're doing is keeping yourself alone. All you're doing is staying isolated, but come to me so that I can touch you. You know, and that beautiful thing at the end of the reading where the children come and he lays his hands on them and blesses them. How important then that we hear these words here at Our Lady's Shrine where we gather as her children and we can ask her to obtain for us that grace of coming to the Lord as true children of God, as those who can trust in truth and simplicity. And we recognize that as children, we're not orphans. We have a mother. We have a father. And we can grow to maturity from childhood spiritually to spiritual adulthood in her company and in her presence. Jesus isn't saying infantilize yourself. Jesus isn't saying become childish and live in a childish way with a childish faith. But the simple fact of the matter is at the very beginning of our spiritual lives, we start as infants. We have to be brought. And he's given us Our Lady so that she can bring us, so that she can help us get there, and so that we can grow up with her to be always children, but never merely childish. That that beginning faith, that infant faith, 
that infant moral living that we begin with might grow to maturity and become a true spiritual adulthood in and through Jesus Christ, who is also a child of Mary, the very first child of Our Lady. And note how marvelous that is. Jesus wants his brothers and his sisters to come. And yes, we can talk about all the social obstacles that stop little ones from drawing near. And as I said, that is important to look at. But we can't let looking at that blind us to the fact that oftentimes a false adulthood in us blocks us from getting near the Lord. And he says, suffer the children to come to me. And very beautifully, note how literally that gets to happen. However we got here, whether we drove ourselves or somebody brought us, we're here. Near him. And he's going to come down off that altar. And he's going to stand at the heads of these aisles. And when the priest, today that would be me, comes down with the consecrated host, the blessed sacrament in the ciborium, and stands at the head of that aisle, I'm the one you'll see, but the one who is really there, truly there, calling to you from both my ministry and that consecrated presence in the ciborium is Jesus Christ. And he says, don't get in the way. Let the children, let the little one, let the simple one, the one who needs me, the one who's wounded, the one who's sick, the one who's just confused and tired, let him come. Just get out of the way and come forward. Yeah, and while we won't see it, you know, we, we don't see ourselves getting out of the chairs and some part of me standing in front of me, getting me in my way and pushing me back down into the seat spiritually, even as my body walks forward. On the one hand, I stretch out my hand to receive, and on the other hand, my heart is pulling back, and it doesn't hold on. Don't do that today. Take a chance. Extend the hand. Open the mouth. Receive him. And as you get back to your place, let him complete the process. Because the scripture doesn't say it was the children came to Jesus and touched him. The children came near to the Lord and he reached out. He touched them. And he blessed them. As profound and mighty as this sacrament is, at base it is a beautifully, marvelously, wondrously simple thing. And the children drew near. And he reached out, touched them, and blessed them. And would that all of us know that beautiful blessing today. Amen.